That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hi there, I'm Lauren McGoodwin. Welcome to another special bonus episode of The Females, a podcast from Career Contessa that delivers helpful, actionable career tips and advice for women so you can be more fulfilled, healthy, and successful at work. If you're worried about your money plan in light of COVID-19, you're not alone. From saving money to debt to repayment to investing, there's a lot on everyone's mind. And between the possibility of an upcoming recession, the recent stimulus bill, and the wild roller coaster that is the stock market, there's plenty to be confused about. Let's talk about it on this bonus episode with Amanda Holden, a personal finance and investing expert who specializes in teaching women about complex money topics. Amanda will cover how to both prepare for an economic downturn and handle the stock market crash. Oh, and she'll also answer specific questions on what your options are to create as much cash as possible right now. We hosted this training originally as a live webinar on April 8th, and we've quickly edited it to be a podcast episode to make sure we're bringing you important advice from experts quickly. You'll also hear Amanda and I reference some resources like Amanda's Instagram account, her online course called Invested Development, and more. I've made sure to include any links in the show notes, as well as to the original webinar, in case you'd prefer to watch Amanda's advice instead. Lastly, in place of Dear Career Contessa, I've also included the Q&A part of the webinar replay. Since this is a webinar replay, there may be some times when you hear us mention things that just don't really make sense now that this is an audio-only podcast episode. I want to thank you in advance for rolling with this format, and I hope you enjoy this advice. And now this is the females. Okay, so we are got a lot to cover. I know this is a really popular topic, money, money, money. So Amanda, let's start by having you introduce yourself, tell everybody where, you know, kind of your background and what you do. And, and I've got some links that I want to share as well. So you start with that. Sure. Well, thank you so much, Kirk and Tessa and Lauren for having me. All you West Coasters, you're so brave at getting up. When you said 9-12, I was like, I mean, that's fine for me. That's lunchtime for me. But- <laughs> That's early for you. Um, so thank you, everybody, for being here. Um, as Lauren said, I am a financial educator. I specialize in teaching women about investing. My background is in investment management. So I actually worked for an investment management company in the San Francisco Bay Area for six years out of college. And my primary role at the firm was I worked as an investment counselor. And so my job was quite literally working with our high net worth clients, answering questions about the market, getting to know their personal financial situations, keeping them apprised of portfolio strategy. So, I mean, basically my job was doing a lot of handholding for old rich white guys all day. (laughs) And so at the end of the day, it was like a great job and I learned a lot, but it ultimately wasn't going to be for me. And so I ended up quitting and starting my own business. My business is called Invested Development. I also have my blog, which is the Dumpster Dog blog. And then I do tons of free education on Instagram at dumpster.doggy. And so I do education in all sorts of ways. Again, investing is really my area of expertise, but um, answer questions about all sorts of stuff. 
Amazing. And you guys, I'm putting in links to Amanda's course, um, Invested Development. We love the name, very clever. Her blog, Dumpster Dog Blog, which if you want to know why she's the dumpster doggy, you have to read on her blog. She has a very good story. And um, just so you guys know, Amanda's famous story is that she quit her job with $30,000 of savings in eight months. So like you'll totally... One, you have to read the story because it's entertaining. And also like, that's just incredible. The fact that you were able to save $30,000 in eight months and then quit your job. The other thing I want to mention here that I'm going to be sharing from Amanda is um, she also has... Um, will you tell them about this free webinar that I'm going to link in here just so if they want to access that after they can too? Sure. So I'm going to give away a webinar that I recorded earlier last month, I guess. And it does cover recession strategy, but the meat and potatoes of it is understanding stock market volatility, which also includes an investing 101 refresh because you can't really understand volatility and understand what's happening in your 401k, which we'll talk about today without understanding investing. And so it's tons of education. It's free. And so we'll send that out as well. And so just get signed up for that. And we'll send that out to you as well. Yeah. So lots of financial education tools before we've even started. So let's start. So the way we're going to set up the content for you guys is we've divided up into talking about debt, 401ks, and then kind of preparing your finances, and then we'll get into your questions. So let's start with the overview of the debt stuff, Amanda, because one of the things I think that is probably on a lot of people's mind is thinking about, hey, I heard that I don't have to pay student loan payments for six months. Like, is that true? Do I have to tell anybody or do I just like not pay? So can we talk about student debt and and things related to that? Yeah, absolutely. Let's start by talking about student loans. So you may have heard that all federal loan payments And any interest accrual on those loans is suspended until September 30th. So it's technically six months and it will retroactively start on March 13th. And so if you've got federal student loans, it should update automatically. Your billing should reset automatically. And so log on, figure out what's going on with your loans. And if it doesn't look like they're resetting, bug them about it. Like I know that um, Navient is one of the main loan service providers that people are having problems with and they're constantly problematic, but just because they're problematic does not mean that you necessarily need to be on the hook for those loans if they qualify for this special deferment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just so you know, it's federal loans that qualify. Unfortunately, not all loans qualify. And so FFEL or Federal Family Education loans don't qualify. Perkins loans don't qualify. And then private loans don't qualify. And when we're talking about private loans, that also includes loans that were refinanced through a private company. Like, for example, if you refinance through SoFi, that is now a private loan that won't qualify for this federal deferment. That said, you absolutely must check to see whatever programs your private loan servicers are offering because they might offer something that's special to their services and their loans. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the short answer to the question is absolutely your federal loans are now paused and you do not need to make payments on them. Interest is not accruing for six months. Okay. So it's, but not private loans. And if you refinanced your loans, obviously you're saying no. So it's good to double check because also, even if you have federal loans, it's good to double check that they actually did uh, pause your payments and things like that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Another interesting point about this is I don't know if anybody on this call is working towards their loan forgiveness through public service loan forgiveness. But I am under the impression that these months that you don't pay will still count towards your continuous monthly payments that are necessary in order to achieve loan forgiveness. They also count towards any income-driven repayment programs that require you make payments every single month. And so you're not necessarily missing out on those payments if you do not make those payments. And so that's that's some good news as well. And Lauren, maybe you were going to ask this next. So that's the question of, is it happening? Are we getting some sort of loan deferral? Which for federal loans, the answer is yes. But then the secondary or the follow-up question is, should I still be making payments? Yeah. 
Right. And so should I be utilizing this opportunity to make payments to my loans and having all of that money go to principal instead of having some of it go to principal and some of it go to interest? As we know, our monthly payments every month, some of that is going to interest. And, you know, that interest payment is often why it makes us feel like we're treading water and not getting anywhere in our loan payments. And that's because of this interest that's being charged monthly. And so, there is an opportunity to make payments to your student loans if you want right now and really chip away at that principle. That said, I would say that most people who have student loans are young people, are recent graduates, are people that have maybe already been so bogged down by student loans that maybe they don't have a really big emergency fund. And so for those folks, for folks that may not have a big emergency fund, are kind of just getting started in their careers, have felt bogged down by student loans, I would say use this period as a reprieve. Use this as a period to get stocked up on your emergency fund. There's no penalty for not making these federal student loan payments. And so why not take this time to build, build out your safety net, your own personal safety net, and deal with the student loans later? Now, that's advice for that person. You know, if somebody is, and this is actually kind of interesting, it's really hard to give financial advice that blanket covers everybody because everybody is coming from such a very different place in their life. They're starting from a different financial place. And so, you know, maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum where you feel like you've got a really good emergency fund going, you can cover yourself through whatever happens next, and you would like to use this opportunity to make some some headway on your student loans. And so that's something that you can consider as well. And I'm sure we'll get more into this. There's probably some other things that I would do before going ham on my student loans as well. And, and we can talk about that as, as we progress throughout the conversation. Yeah, no, I, I kind of, <laughs> I feel like what I want is for someone to give me like the order or the sequence of events. It's like, pay this first, then do this, then do that. But okay, before we go into that though, so student loan, we've kind of checked that box. The other debt that people probably have is credit card debt or like high interest debt. Are we getting any forgiveness on those or (laughs) what's happening with the other debt that we might have? So there's no federally mandated forgiveness on, on credit cards. There are some mortgage moratoriums that are going in. So if you have a mortgage, you might not have to make your mortgage payment. You should absolutely check with your lender specifically to find out. Unfortunately, there are not a lot of stays on rent. And so people that have mortgages might get a little bit more relief than people who are paying rent, which doesn't make a ton of sense. But that's what we're seeing currently, although things are changing every day. I know that Congress is meeting and coming up with even more options for reprieve for individual people. So fingers crossed that they do a little bit more. But then there's credit cards. And so let's talk a little bit about credit cards. Really, it's going to be up to your credit card company as to what they're willing to give you or to work with you on. And so if you've got credit card debt, call them up. Even if you are fully employed right now, you might not be in a month. And so call them, say that your money has been affected by coronavirus. I I think that those are the magic words. (laughs) (laughs) When you talk with anybody, whether it's a credit card company or a bill service provider or whatever it may be, say those words because we've all been affected by coronavirus. So it's not untrue. It is true. And so say that and then see what they're willing to offer. See if there's something that they're able to give you. My, you know, something that I would absolutely work towards um, with your credit card company is lowering your APR. Your APR is the interest that you are paying on your credit card. And what we know about credit cards is that credit card interest is insanely high. I mean, we're talking about 20%, 25%. I think that the national average right now is 17% on a credit card. Wow. Right. And just to give you an idea, credit card companies are making a lot of money. There's no way you could invest your way out of that hole or how much you are bleeding out in credit card interest. There's just like, there's no way to make that up. And so like, ultimately, like I always say this in non-corona times, but ultimately if our goal is to build wealth, the first thing we need to do is start paying off our credit cards because we can't invest our way out of what we are bleeding out in credit card interest. Now that said, that's kind of advice 
for normal times, you know, right now with credit cards, I think for a lot of people, the, the best thing to do is just going to be to maintain. And so just maintain, keep making minimum payments and then call up that service provider and ask them for a lower APR. Try to get a lower interest rate on your credit card. See if they can, if you've got a 17% rate, try to get it down to a 12% interest rate. See if they can help you out in this regard, which will mean that when you do make payments, again, more of that is going to your principal, less is going to interest, your payments overall will be smaller. And so do that, call up the credit card person. And so then this, again, the second piece of that question is, okay, so I do that. Maybe I have success. Maybe I don't. Now, what's my strategy with a credit card payment? And so, again, it's going to really depend on where you stand currently. I would say that most people need to focus on their cash reserves right now. Yeah, their emergency fund. Their emergency fund. And when we say emergency fund, what we're just talking about is keeping cash somewhere where it's accessible. You really don't need to overthink it. I know that a lot of financial educators love to push like, use this account, use this account. What matters is that you have cash somewhere that you can access quickly. That's what an emergency fund is. Keep it super liquid and accessible to you. And so right now, as far as recession strategy goes or preparing for the worst, the very best thing you can do is build up as much cash as possible to get you through the foreseeable future. Mm -hmm. And so for those of you that have been trying to make aggressive credit card payments more than the minimum payment in order to try to pay it off. First of all, good for you. It's a really hard and worthy goal. But I would probably take into very serious consideration whatever my personal situation is right now. And if I don't have a lot of cash savings, I might just revert back to making those minimum payments because minimum payments are a lot easier to manage, not only now, but in the event that you do get laid off from your job and instead focus on building up those cash reserves. Somebody asked this too, but how many months for an emergency fund? I know traditionally people say three to six months, but is a recession situation, is it six to nine, six to 12? Does it become bigger? Well, so everybody wants a really straight answer to this question, which I can't give because me telling you exactly how much cash you need to have would require me knowing when we are going to overcome the virus, which I can't know right? I cannot, like, we can all guess when this thing will be over, but we should all prepare to be humbled by whatever it is that our guess may be, because we're dealing with a couple of things. We're talking about a health crisis, which is really hard for us to understand, especially with what I would call the mismanagement in this country, when we're going to overcome that. And then also, how long does it take the economic recovery to happen? And also, what does the economic recovery look like? Because I think we can all understand intuitively that some industries and businesses are going to be hurt more than others. And we don't have supreme clarity as to exactly how it's all going to shake out right now. We just can't know. And so honestly, what I would say is my opinion would be to save every last dollar that you can. Yeah. I think that this is a time to cut all unnecessary expenses, which is not like, I mean, if you know me, this is not advice I love to give. Nobody loves frivolous spending more than I do. (laughs) It's truly true. I'm a reformed asshole of a spender. I don't know if we're allowed to cuss on this webinar, but I'm a reformed reformed, uh, uh, spender. I used to like literally light money on fire. And so it's definitely not advice that I love to give, but I think for now we have got to bunker down and really consider our ability to take care of ourselves for maybe what will be longer than three months or six months. If you can get it up to a year or more, I don't think that you're going to regret it. At the end of the day, I think that having some major cash reserves should be really everybody's primary financial goal, along with making any necessary bill payments, right? Like we're getting down to to basics and anything else you can do above and beyond that, whether that's investing or making additional student loan payments or credit card payments is going to be extra. Yeah. So a good thing to do maybe is to like print out you know, your statements over the last six months to see where you've been spending money. First, start by cutting anything that you don't, that's not essential that you don't have to have. 
your number one game plan should be cash reserves. But also while you're doing that, call your credit card company and also student loans. Like anywhere you have debt, call them and see what you can do because maybe you can get six months where you don't have to make any payments to any of those and that will help with your emergency fund. Absolutely. And I would do it with your bills too. Yeah. Like not just your debt, but do it with your bills. That's a good idea. The lesson I'm learning from anytime we talk about finances is like call all of them say the words coronavirus and what can you do for me and see what they can offer. I really like your tip about the credit card too, lowering the interest because hopefully you could have that. Like once they lower it, could that be your new normal post coronavirus too, ideally. So, but really, really good tips. Um, Remember guys, if you have specific questions, add them under the ask a question section for the webinar. Um, Okay. I want to move into 401ks because I think the next question everybody has related to their money is, oh, wow, my 401k lost a lot of money in March. I thought my retirements were going to be safe. Should I take them out? And also, what if that is the only money I have and I was just laid off? So let's let's talk about kind of the 411 on 401ks. Sure. Okay. So once again, so many layers to your question. Such a good question. And so like, let's start from the top. Let's talk about why this is even happening in the first place. Because I think that there's a lot of misunderstanding out there about what a 401k is and what a 401k isn't. Yes. And by the way, I'm going to use 401k as, as kind of a catch-all to describe any of the retirement accounts that we typically use. So 401k, 403b, IRA, Roth IRA, SEP IRA, what the fuck, Whiskey Tango Fox Trot, like, what, <laughs> what are all these things? Okay, so, like, what, like, they're, they're already so confusing, like, what's the difference between these things? And so, actually, let's just start there really quick. Hopefully, you don't mind me, like, going No, I love, I love definitions, yeah. Okay, all of these are just accounts. So often I hear people say like, oh, my 401k is an investment, but that's not necessarily true. A 401k is an account that holds investments. And so a 401k, or let's say like an IRA or a 403b was an account that was created by the IRS to give you some sort of tax benefit if you use it to invest within, as opposed to just using a regular old investment account, which we call a brokerage account. And so there are these rules, these tax rules, you can think of it as like, it's like a fancy tax advantaged account. But at the end of the day, it is still just an account. Like I often like to compare 401ks or Roth IRAs to like caboodles. Like, you remember like those caboodles from the 1990s, like, like that hot, hot teal and purple caboodles that you so desperately wanted. Like, please, mom, please. Can I have one of these? Yes. (laughs) Your caboodle is your 401k. The investments are the treasures that you hold inside. So whether that's your tie-dye scrunchies or your miniature novelty eraser collection, those are your investments that you hold inside the 401k. And so anyways, 401k, just a fancy tax advantage account, but they are designed to be used for retirement, meaning you get a tax benefit if you use that over using a brokerage account. But then there's a trade-off. The trade-off is then you're going to get slapped on the wrist if you try to touch that money before retirement age, age 59 and a half. And I'll come back to that. I'll come back to like, what if I do need to take this money out anyway? But for now, what I want you to understand is that the investments that are being held within that account are generally stock mutual funds. Most 401ks that you have set up through your work are invested in stock and bond mutual funds. Now, if you are a self-employed person that has set up your own account, you've probably noticed that you not only have to set up your account and then fund it with cash, and then you have to buy your investments. You have to choose your investments. But with 401ks, we're kind of in this like interesting scenario where many people set up 401ks or 403bs through work. You know, they may just click a couple buttons. Like I am, I would like a moderate to aggressive strategy and then bye-bye. And then like something mystical happens happens behind the curtains that they don't and they don't really know what it what it is but what is happening especially for young people is that they are being invested primarily in the stock market which so many of us don't understand that our 401ks are being invested in the stock market and again using mutual funds which I have a bunch more analogies for mutual funds if we want to come back to that but really what you can think of it is it's a big old basket of stocks right? A mutual fund is like a big old basket of stocks or a big old basket of bonds. 
And in general, the stock market is deemed appropriate for young people. And just so you know, anybody is anybody that's under 50 is considered young because you have a long investing timeline. So therefore, you can take more risk in order to try to get more reward over time. Those two things are intrinsically linked. And you also have time to let the stock market work in your favor because it takes a really long time to work. Okay, so all of that said, now we understand that our 401ks, whether we know it or not, are probably quite heavily invested in the stock market. And so that's why we saw the value of our 401ks dip, right? So if our stock investments are working correctly, then they will do as the stock market does, which is a little bit counterintuitive. But like, for instance, in the good times, if the stock market is up 20% in a year, you want your investments to to match that, to be up 20%. Now, if the stock market has a year where it's up 2%, then your stock investments are only going to be up 2%. If the stock market has a year where it is down 30%, so like from peak to trough, from the high point to the low point, it was down a little bit more than 30%. It feels counterintuitive, but you do actually want your investments to do that as well. Because with the stock market, you're more or less just along for the ride. You really can't manipulate the stock market into doing something that it's not going to do. That's what like all these crazy active traders are doing. But really, the most successful strategy over the long term is simply sticking with it, riding through the hard times in order to participate in the big upswings. Yeah. So don't touch it. And if you're having an anxiety, just looking at how far it's dropped, stop looking at it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's a little bit counterintuitive with the stock market because, well, let's even just talk about what do you own when you own a stock? You own a teeny tiny little sliver of ownership in a company. It's a teeny tiny little piece of Nike or Tesla or Facebook or Target or like, you know, whoever, yeah. whoever, I know I was going to say Exxon, but again, um, <laughs> but truly, and the stock market is so weird because it's not like this tangible investment that you yeah. can grab onto. Whereas like, let's like compare that to an investment like your house or real estate, right? Like clearly, like I understand the value of the, this place that I am living in. Like, um, my friends who write this amazing blog, you should absolutely check it out. It's called Bitches Get Riches. They are fabulous. Um, I believe it's them that said something along the lines of like, I mean, here's the thing, like I can't take a nap in a stock. I can't, can't take a shit in a bond. <laughs> so, so you can't really feel the value of this thing, but it is still very much a real thing. And so imagine, for example, like imagine with Career Contessa, you offered stocks for sale to the public. And let's say you divided it up into 10 pieces. And so if you bought one stock or one share, you would own one-tenth of Career Contessa. Now, right now, the value of that share is less. And we can talk about why that's important. But right now, it is valued at less. But you don't own any less of Career Contessa. You still own one-tenth of Career Contessa. Right. And so the point of owning that stock is to be there to participate in the wealth that career contessa or companies create over time. But as we all know, in the world of the stock market and in the world of business, growth is never linear. There are going to be bad years and there are going to be good years. And more often than not, there are good years, but you don't get to have the good years without the bad years. And we we kind of understand this with like a human life. Like we understand that like humans have good years and they have bad years and growth is never one direction up. But we kind of tend to forget about that with the stock market. Now, coming back to the point I wanted to make about buying an investment, like if you were going to buy an investment that you knew was one tenth of Kirk Contessa, would you rather buy it for cheap or for more expensive? Cheap. <laughs> Would you rather buy a house for cheap or more expensive? Cheap. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so, so at the end of the day, the really the last thing you want to do is sell out. This is the worst possible time to sell out of the market. Don't lock in your losses, right? If you're being an intuitive investor, 
And I don't necessarily recommend trying to time the market, but if you're being an, an intuitive investor, what you should think is, oh, wow, there's actually like, this is a good opportunity to buy into the market. It's just really, again, it's like this difficult thing to do with the stock market because it doesn't really always feel real. But what you are buying, which is a share of a company or many shares of many companies is very much a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. So people who have 401ks don't look at them, but what happened? I mean, overall for your 401k, um, if you need to take it out because you have no other option, you can, but you'll pay a penalty. You, you, there's a penalty to do that, right? So part of the stimulus bill was actually expanding what you can tap into within your 401k without having to pay a penalty. And so currently you are able to withdraw up to $100,000 with no penalty if it is for coronavirus related reasons. Now, if you do that, be prepared to prove that it is for coronavirus related reasons. That said, you will also be on the hook for income taxes. And so when you take money out of a 401k, you are going to have to pay income taxes on that money. Now, there may be some stipulations about if you pay it back in a certain amount of time, you won't also be on the hook for those income taxes. And so do check with your 401k program to see what it is that your options are, whether withdrawing is option or taking a loan and paying it back is a better option. There are options that are available to us, but do know that when you take money out of a 401k, you have to pay income taxes because this is the tax setup with a 401k. The tax setup is you don't pay any income taxes on the money that goes in, but you can't avoid income taxes forever. Uncle Sam's going to find you. And so the idea is that you pay income taxes in retirement. When you take out that money out of a 401k, you are going to pay income taxes at that point. Just so you understand, the general idea behind this is that as a retired person, you will be spending less and therefore in a lower overall tax bracket than you are as a working person and earning. And so you can pay a little bit less in income taxes if you wait until you're retired and not working to pay those income taxes instead of paying them now. I mean, is this, is this that big of a benefit? I would say, I mean, yes, you, most people will probably pay less in income taxes by using a 401k, but just understand you're paying income taxes one way or the other. And I know that this wasn't the question again, but the real benefit to using a 401k or to using any retirement account is that you are getting tax-free growth. So when your investments make you money, you do not have to pay any taxes on those investment gains. If you were to invest within a regular brokerage account, you have to pay taxes on investment gains. That's called a capital gains tax. And so really the benefit to any retirement account is tax-free growth over time. There is no type of retirement account where you can avoid avoid income taxes altogether. And so just do know that. Um, sorry, once again, I got like a little bit spinning off. No, this is really helpful. I, I also think that for a lot of people, just to have this much background is is incredibly insightful. I, I do want to ask the question though, because you talked about like, would you rather buy a house if it were cheaper or buy to the stock market if it was cheaper? And since there are gains and you know, you're talking about the benefits when their things do go back up again, which they will, if you have the extra money right now, should you be investing in the market? Uh, so like, let's say you've got your emergency fund, you talk to your loans, whatever, you've got all that taken care of, but you've got some extra cash. What should you do with that? Because I think there's a part of people who also feel like this is a, like, this is a once in a lifetime or like a special time that you might be able to take advantage of this. Sure. And so to reiterate, Absolutely got to make sure that your immediate needs are taken care of first. This even goes out to my people that feel really gainfully employed and feel really safe in their job right now. I really think that everybody should be acting as if they lose their job next month because all that's going to happen then is you're going to be better prepared in the event that does happen. I also think that 
we're starting to get maybe a false sense of security that after we got through the first massive round of layoffs, we were saved, we were spared, and so we are safe. I would not say that that is necessarily true. I think that we're going to see a lot of economic changes come as businesses start to understand how are we earning money? Are we earning money? Can I afford to keep my payroll? Are these emergency loans from the government ever going to come through? I mean, there's so much going on. So anyways, I know that I keep hammering that point home, but I think it's really important for everybody to make sure that you take care of your cash needs for the foreseeable future first, because that is more important than seeking out any investment opportunities. Okay. So then the question is, okay, but that's taken care of. Should I invest? I will say one other small thing is I will say, if you're in a really financially well position, be generous too. And I I do personally believe that it is our moral obligation to take care of our communities during this difficult time. And so doing what you can to support local businesses, donating money to food banks, donating for PPE supplies, things along those lines, I would just like to give a shout out to that um, really quickly. And if you can build some of that into your plan, I, I think you have a really incredible opportunity to truly make somebody's day and really make a difference if you have um, that ability. Okay, now to actually answer your question, there are a couple of truisms about the stock market that need to be understood. The first of those is in the short term, the stock market cannot be timed. The stock market cannot be timed. If you think that you are going to get cute and you know more than the stock market, you could be very disappointed. Because I could say to you, hey, the stock market just came down. Now is a really good time to invest. But then what happens if the stock market tumbles another 30%, right? That is a possibility. And the reality is I can't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I can't know what's going to happen in the next month. I can't know what's going to happen in the next year. Maybe I'm dead on and I'm right. And the stock market zooms right up from here. That's a total possibility as well. But again, I can't know what's going to happen in the short term. All we can know are really these three trends. First, cannot time what is going to happen in the short term. It is wacky. It is crazy. It is unpredictable. And again, we can talk about why, but just know that's trend number one. Trend number two, over longer periods, the stock market does tend to move higher. So it can feel like treading water for not even just like a couple months. It could feel like treading water for years. Like we've had decades where you're just like, but over longer periods, the stock market does tend to move higher. And so what's a longer period? I would say 15 years minimum, but 20, 30, 40, 50 years is unfortunately better. The stock market does not operate on a timeline like we do, right? Like 10 years in a human life is a really long time. 10 years in the stock market is unfortunately just not really a long time. And so, okay, up and down in the short term does move higher over time. And then the third trend that we do notice, and this is where it gets counterintuitive, during the bad markets, is when you do have a higher potential for return over time. So when you do buy at a low, you have a higher potential for return over time. And when you are currently in a good market, you have a lower potential for return over time. Another way to say this, and this is like an old Benjamin Graham, Warren Buffett investing adage is be fearful when others are greedy, greedy when others are fearful. And so that means doing things that are really uncomfortable when everybody around you is in a panic, which it feels like that is right now. But again, because I cannot tell you exactly what is going to happen in the short term, I cannot tell you that today is a good time to invest. All we know is that historically, the best strategy is to just be completely unbothered by whatever is happening in the market and just keep adding money consistently in over time so that you can catch as much of the upside as possible. Because here's another interesting trend. The stock market is up about two-thirds of the time. It's down about a third of the time. That's pretty normal and natural. But so you're really your singular should goal should be catch all of that upside, participate in all of that upside. But since we cannot time when that upside will be, that means participating in all of the downside as well. If you want to play the game, you have to play all parts of the game. Exactly. 
Okay, so this is incredible. We need to talk about preparing for a recession. We also have 36 questions. So I want to try to, if we can kind of summarize some of the recession points or you know tips and then get to some of the questions. So the, the ones we had about the recession were basically, I'll, I'll kind of name all of them and then maybe we could find a way to summarize. So the questions were, should I shut off my retirement contributions right now in order to save money? Number two was, I lost my job. What are my next steps? Number three, what are some ways that I can earn money if we are in a recession? And four was, what can I expect from the government? So I think let's leave the government stuff off because everybody can go and and check out those local resources. Let's talk about, should I shut off my retirement accounts and I lost my job? What, what can I do to either earn that money or just tips in general? Sure. And so shutting off retirement contributions, two layers to this question. The first question is, what makes sense for you? The second layer is, what does investment theory tell us? And so what makes sense for you is the first and the most important to to consider. And if you feel at all concerned about your cash flow and your ability to get through what could be a potential job layoff, I would say, hell yeah, shut off the retirement contributions, right? We got to get through the next couple of years first. So that's the first layer. Now, if you feel comfortable with where you're at with your, your, your emergency fund, your cash reserves, then heck yeah, keep those retirement contributions going. It's a great time to be investing in that we think we're at kind of this low point. It could continue to move lower, which again, is just going to create even more buying opportunity. And so stick with it, stick with the plan, buy your stocks for cheaper than they were a month ago. Absolutely keep with it. And what about if you've lost your job, what are your options maybe to earn some extra cash or some other, you had some tips around that. I think that's really good to to cover as well. Sure. And so, oh my gosh, I'd actually love to know, like you're definitely the career expert. And so I'd love to, to know what you think as well. But so first of all, if you lose your job, file for unemployment, yeah. right? Get your, your unemployment filing in ASAP and do know, it's a little bit confusing right now, but do know that out of all of the things that came out of the stimulus bill, I would say that the unemployment piece is probably the most impressive or the most helpful. And so if you have lost any hours, any wages, whatsoever, if you were furloughed, if you read my last Instagram post, I really uh, hate on the technological prowess of these websites yeah. that literally have not been updated since 2000. One, I think um, I'm being generous about the update too. <laughs> oh, no, for sure. And like, there are some states that are absolutely, they're disasters. And it's, it's, it's really unfortunate. And this is a political issue as well. And we don't have to get into that. But just be persistent. If you're not getting through on your unemployment, try using a different browser, try pinging your Department of Labor on Twitter. People have been successful doing that. Um, try to get a phone call, do whatever it is that you can't try until like 3am to go on. Yeah, like, clever. Whenever I describe the stimulus bill, people think that I'm like, uh, defending the stimulus bill, I'm not defending the stimulus bill, I'm just telling you what what you got to try to do. And like, unfortunately, right now, these systems are so broken, but you've got to keep trying, because you will get unemployment from your state. And what you get from your state, the national average is it averages out to about 40% of what you were earning before up to a max. Now, each state has its own max. So in California, I know that the max is $450 a week. Like in Alabama, it's like $270 a week. In New Jersey, it's like $700 and something dollars a week. And so you earn that, whatever, like up to your max for your state is, but then the federal government is going to come on top of that and give every single person, even if you only qualify for $1 per week through your state, if you qualify through your state, you're going to get 600 additional dollars per week. Basically with the stimulus bill is trying to do with unemployment is come in and make the average worker whole again. And the average worker makes a thousand dollars a week. And so if the average state is paying 400, then the fed is going to come in and pay $600. And so just so you know, you will get this $600 payment through your state as well. Like the fed is going to pay your state. Your state is going to then pay you. And as far as I'm aware, nobody's gotten these $600 payments yet. I've met one person in New York state who has gotten their $600 payment yet, but you will be back paid anything that you are owed up to when the stimulus bill passed. The reason it's so important to apply for unemployment is because that $600 has a hard end date. At the end of July, that will go away as of right now. 
And so the sooner you can get into the system, the sooner you qualify for that additional payment, which is going to be short lived. Your state's unemployment through the stimulus bill was expanded to cover 10 months of unemployment. And so that should be everybody's first priority is making sure that they get through the unemployment system as emotionally trying (laughs) as that is going to be. Okay, so that's unemployment. But then let's talk a little bit more about ways to to earn money. And so um, first, I'll just start with, you know, something to maybe be hopeful about is that we have the Internet and we have the ability to conduct work online. And there are a lot of opportunities out there to take whatever skill it is that you have and find somebody who needs that skill. Right. The United States is likely to fall into a recession. We don't need the textbook definition yet, but we're in a recession. Let's call it what it is. But this may not be a global recession, right? This There are going to be pockets of growth everywhere. Also, anytime you get some economic disaster, you are going to see industries and businesses that go under and you're going to see new types of opportunities crop up. And so you got to be really on top of trying to figure out what that's going to be. My personal recommendation is always to focus not on what it is that you want to offer, but focus on what people need. Focus on helping people, right? This is not a time to make it about us and what we want. And instead, there's just this this incredible opportunity to give our communities what they actually need. And it can work out in a beautiful way where we can ultimately benefit ourselves. And like, let me give you an example. Lauren and I were just talking about this in the green room before we came on, like we as business owners always need help. We always need help. And there are people in your network that are going to need help. And so make yourself available to these business owners who are scrambling right now and just make it so incredibly easy for them to hire you, right? Like make Make them an offer that no busy businesswoman could could deny, right? Like I even had something typed up the other day, just as like a sample that you could send to somebody, just do something like, hey, Amanda, like, I love your mission and I like following your work. Um, I know these are crazy times. I wanted to see if you were needing help. I am transitioning into a career as a virtual assistant with a specialty in marketing. Like I can give you, or I can help you create pitches manage your inbox and create lead magnets on your site. And I'd be willing to give you four hours for free so you can see the value of my work. And then I would charge $15 an hour thereafter, right? Like if you pitch that to me, I would absolutely be like, oh, damn. I don't know. (laughs) You're going to get so many emails now. (laughs) Not just me, right? Like everybody knows somebody in their network that is that is in need of help and is in need of your skill, whether it's, I mean, there's so much self-employment out there and we are all so overwhelmed by having to wear every hat. So offer to take that hat, one of those hats off the busy people in your life. And again, making them an offer they can't refuse is a good way to get your foot in the door to, to show them that they can trust you. Right. Because the, like the reason I don't have a virtual assistant is literally because I'm too overwhelmed with my own work to have to train somebody else. And to find somebody who's going to be good at it. And so point is, you have a skill that someone somewhere in the world needs and you need to make it available to them and utilize your own networks first. I think that's a really, a really great way to go about it, right? Like email every person that you know, like if you're a freelancer, email every single person that you've ever worked with before and, you know, tell them exactly what you're able to provide them in order to help them help them get through this thing. And so I would say that's something that you can consider consider to make money. There are a lot of companies that are currently hiring. Um, I want to be real about this. Some of these jobs may not be desirable, especially because you may then be going into a workplace and exposing yourself to coronavirus. And so whether that's something that you want to pursue is a completely personal decision. That said, those aren't the only companies that are hiring. There are companies that are hiring. Look into what who's hiring, who's offering. Know that there's opportunities out there. There are people that need help and, and just you know put yourself out there. Yeah. 
So well said. Thank you, Amanda. We are going to spend the next 10 minutes doing some questions. I know you guys had a lot. There's already been a request for a part two, Amanda. So we'll have to talk about that. We do that. We will definitely make it so that we are getting some of these questions. So the first one comes from Elise, who said... As I prepare for my budget to be tighter, I want to build up my emergency fund and pay off my credit card. Should I focus on the credit card payment or the emergency fund first? Which I think you've answered, which was emergency fund, right? I mean, again, it's all so personal. Like, let's say you had a really honest conversation with your boss and your boss said, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that we retain you for at least the next six months. If you know that you're going to be retained for the next six months and you could pay off your credit cards in two or three months, it might be a nice thing to hit really hard so that after the six month mark, you then don't have a credit card payment that you're dealing with. So, right, like if you feel secure, if it's something that you can reasonably do in in the foreseeable future, then maybe you want to consider it so that you can eliminate a debt payment in the event that you're laid off. Okay, so that's one way to look at it. But then consider somebody who's you know, maybe got a little bit more unsure of their job stability, or there's just not really a way that they're going to be able to get through their credit card balance in the foreseeable future, then I would say, you know what, let's just make the minimum payments on that thing. Let's just maintain while making sure that we save up as much emergency fund as possible. Amazing. All right. The next question came from Melanie and she said, for someone who gratefully has job security during this time and still has the goal to aggressively pay down debt this year, would you suggest it being a good financial move to use stimulus check or any additional incoming revenue that may come in my way to put towards credit card debt? I also want to just emphasize you had a really good tip in the last question, which is like, it's also okay to talk to your boss about like, Hey, I'm, I'm trying to plan my finances. Do you Uh have an idea of like, I will have job security. So this person's saying they do, but I liked that you had mentioned that in the last tip and I just forgot to point that out. So yeah, so this person has financial security and they're still wondering, should they aggressively pay down debt? Is it a good financial move to use stimulus check or any additional incoming revenue that may come my way to put towards credit card debt? Absolutely. I mean, if you can use the stimulus check for good, you know, whether that's helping your community or working on your own personal financial goals, then hell yeah, do it. Like, maybe just don't put a down payment on a jet ski. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, let's still s- stick to the essentials, guys. Okay. That's good advice. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and, and, I, and I don't want to gloss over that point. Absolutely. And I think that you know, for the most part, whatever your goals were before this are still your goals now. Like we just do have to rearrange a little bit just to make sure that we are accommodating this crazy thing that happened that nobody could have ever, ever foreseen coming. But like, if your goal before this was to get rid of credit card debt, that's still your goal. If your goal before this was to invest for retirement, that's still your goal. And yeah. those are still very worthy goals. We just always want to make sure that we're always taking care of, of our immediate needs first and foremost. Yes. So Sandra asks, how do we budget our money for rent, food, et cetera, when we don't know how long the crisis will last? How do we generate new income when, when most of us have lost our jobs because of coronavirus? So I think we, we mentioned the second part already, but maybe just some general tips around how to budget. I always find that it's helpful to, first of all, just to understand your budget in and out. Like, get in there and figure out exactly how much money it is that you're spending now and and not necessarily in an aspirational way. I think that when we budget, we're like, oh, I only spent $200 going out. It's like, no, you don't. <laughs> and so no aspirational budgeting. We have to be extremely real with ourselves and understanding what it is that we are spending right now. And then partner that up with, I know that like the budgetista, I don't know if you know the budgetista, she calls it like your noodle budget. So like how much, like if you are stripping down your expenses to like nothing, but like the necessities, how much is that going? What is that going to look like as compared to your more realistic budget? And then what we should all probably be doing is trying to get as close to that more stripped down that noodle budget as much as possible. And so as far as the mechanics of budgeting, everybody's going to be a little bit different about this. If I'm being honest, I do not find that any programs work for me. So I don't like using Excel. I don't like using Mint. 
but you may really take to Excel. You might really use, Mint might be really great for you. There's also another budgeting platform called You Need a Budget, which you do have to pay a subscription for, but people that love it, love it because it's its own unique system. If you can wrap your head around it, it could be completely transformative. I know a financial expert and she's giving away free classes on how to use You Need a Budget right now. And so mm-hmm. if you want to use a new budgeting software, but the reality is sometimes it takes somebody walking you through it to understand it, check Lynn out. She's on Instagram as well. And so what I use is I am a pen and paper person. I am a pen and paper person. Journaling is really the only thing that works for me and truly understanding who I am. And part of understanding who I am is understanding how I spend. And so that's what works for me. But I think that the question was also regarding like, how can we plan like moving forward with so much uncertainty? And so what I would do is I would take that absolute stripped down bare bones noodle budget, understand what that is, figure out how much money you need to to you know, subsist on that noodle budget for six months, for a year, maybe even a year and a half, and see what you can do to get your cash reserves up to that point, which is going to likely be a combination of cutting back all expenses, filing for unemployment, and figuring out new ways to make money online. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, so I think we have time for one more question. Came from Mary. She said, my company has started layoffs and I'm nervous about my job security. They have always offered a 4% 401k matching. Would it make sense for me to to diminish my 401k investments to zero during this time to have more cash on hand for the time being? Which I know you sort of, you already answered as well, which I think was a yes, right? If you need it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and it it has as much to do with where's your emergency fund at as anything, right? And so if you feel like your job security is maybe on the line, yeah, I would maybe consider rolling back some of those 401k contributions to get that cash flow moving again. But I also think this is an interesting question and that like, really, the most important thing this person can do financially is figure out how to keep her job. I don't know. Have you ever heard of Chris Voss? Yeah, I had him on my podcast. Oh, you did? Oh my God, he's so cool. So for anybody who doesn't know him, he used to be a hostage negotiator for the FBI. And so he's kind of become this expert negotiation person, especially in like, what are the exact questions that you need to be asking your boss or your significant other or whoever to elicit the response that you want? And I believe that the question that he, the way that he phrased it was go to your boss and say, how can I be involved in the initiatives that save this company? Right. Run to the problem. His name is Chris Voss. I'm going to put his name in the chat with the podcast that we did. And also he has an amazing book, you guys. So let me link to that as well, because his negotiation tactics in his book are ones that you can use forever as well. That's, that's a really, really, really good point. Amanda is like, go instead of focusing on, like for her number one focus, it should be on trying to keep your job first, which of course, like sometimes you don't have control, but like I have this saying where I'm like, I'm not going to lose this game. He's going to have to take it from me. Like I always play tennis with my husband. And I feel like that sort of has to be your mentality at the job, <laughs> you know, like they have to take it away from you. You're not just going to let them, you know, you be the easy one to let go. Right. And the idea is just like make yourself so critical to the long term success of this company that it is painful for them to let you go run into the trouble. Because I think the other thing that he said in this interview was like when you walk into your boss's office, like what they're expecting is for you to give them bad news or for you to ask for something. And so for you to ask this question in such a powerful way and make yourself so available. Like that's, that's something that's not only really powerful and that like you might get more work and you might be able to position yourself as being critical to the firm, but you also now have a better understanding about the reality of your position as a business decision. Yeah. And I also think that, as you just said, like, you know, for people who are are not suffering from, you know, job security, being in danger of losing their job, like, that's still a good question to be asking your boss right now, because so many people might not be I feel like a lot of people are kind of doing this thing where they're trying to avoid talking to their boss altogether about anything because they don't want to bring anything up. So also, like, even if you're not in fear of losing your job, this is an amazing tactic to take as well. Thank you so much, Amanda, for, for sharing that as well. You guys, I just linked to Chris's book. And remember, 
remember, you have access to the replay of this uh, webinar. So you can listen to Amanda's amazing advice over and over and over again. You can listen to, I know we didn't get to all the questions, but you can listen to her answers to the ones that we did get to. I'm going to, again, put in the links. Amanda already mentioned this, but she does a lot of this financial education on her Instagram channel. So don't forget to follow her there if you want to kind of just like consistently have a place where you're getting this source of financial education. Um, People already asked about a part two. The part two is in this webinar of Amanda's that I'm sharing right here. So don't forget to watch that. I mean, I also think that there's kind of nothing more empowering than like truly spending the time to like learn this skill, learn it from someone you trust. Okay, last thing I want to link to is Amanda's blog and her course, Invested Development. You guys, there's a ton of resources on there. Amanda has been really gracious about giving her time to all of us for free. So don't forget to check those out and support her and her business and take all this information. There's a lot of things to do, but uh, all really good homework assignments. So thank you so, so, so much. Follow me on Instagram at dumpster.doggy. I do tons of free investing education and I really think you'll learn a thing or two. Again, like stick with it. You guys are doing amazing through all this. Um, Amanda, thank you so much again. We really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this bonus episode of The Females. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review. I also wanted to announce that during this time, we have made all of our webinars free on careercontessa.com. You just go to careercontessa.com. You'll see in the top navigation bar, it says webinar. Go ahead and click on those and you'll see that we have a library with over 50 webinar replays that range in topics from building confidence to overcoming imposter syndrome to job search tips from recruiters and much more. And we're rolling out new webinars every single week. So don't forget to check all those out on Career Contessa. We will continue to edit our show to offer support in real time and even roll out bonus episodes quickly like this one. Please feel free to send us any questions you have via email. It's info at careercontessa.com.